Every great love story begins with a Harry Winston diamond. For nearly a century, Harry Winston has been the name behind some of the world's most exceptional diamonds. That's because every Harry Winston diamond ring is as one of a kind as the love story it represents, the ultimate symbol of romance, devotion, and elegance. From emerald cut and cushion cut to oval and pear-shaped, every diamond is hand-selected for maximum beauty and brilliance and placed in a timeless platinum setting. Say I do to a Harry Winston engagement ring and you're happily ever after at harrywinston.com. Love now and Did you fall in love last time? I love Love was stronger than anything. For the love. Love. And I love you more than anything. You're still love. Love. From the New York Times, I'm Anna Martin. This is Modern Love. Today, we've got stories from couples in unconventional arrangements. Couples who are defying assumptions about what their relationships should look like. Their arrangements might not be for everyone, and I think that's kind of the point. They're set up specifically for the people in them. To satisfy their desires, to fulfill their needs, and, like in today's essay, to try to solve their problems. The essay is called A Thruple's Tricky Geometry. It's written by Evan Starrett and read by McLeod Andrews. A queen-size bed can sleep two adult men comfortably. It can fit three, if you don't mind cuddling, or waking up to strange noises in the dark. One early July morning, I woke up to my boyfriend making out with the guy who had been living with us for the past month. I'm not really a fan of sex before toothbrushing. So I smiled, mumbled, hot, and turned over. This was our sleeping arrangement that summer. My boyfriend, our new lover, and me. Add our chihuahua at the foot of the bed, and it was a tight squeeze. It was also a revelation. After six turbulent years together, my boyfriend and I were falling in love all over again. Not with each other, exactly. But with this third. My boyfriend and I met on a blind date in Washington, D.C. when I was a college sophomore. He was tall, smart, handsome, a few years older, and he laughed at my jokes. He fit the bill, and he paid it, too. The next morning, I told my roommate, I think he's the one. It was my first relationship, and his, too, so we stumbled through various firsts together. First fight, first I love you, first meet the parents, and after a year and a half, first infidelity. We tried to break up, but we were addicted to the intensity. I spent many nights crying performatively in the library and then calling him back. After graduation, I was determined to move to Los Angeles to become a filmmaker. This plan had several holes. For one, it did not account for my boyfriend. He was not pleased. We tried to break up again. Instead, we drove across the country together. He was headed to San Francisco for law school, and I was going to Los Angeles. Once we were resettled on the West Coast, we tried to break up yet again. Our relationship had downgraded into reruns of the same drama. Our fights had been rehearsed over years of repetition. 
He wanted commitment. I wanted space. We spent a year apart, but when he accepted a summer internship in Los Angeles, coincidence, we decided to give it another go. By the fall, he had transferred to UCLA, and we had signed a lease on a one-bedroom apartment in West Hollywood. We adopted a dog. We bickered in Ikea. We opened the relationship. It was important to me that we reject all heteronormative structures, which meant I wanted to sleep with other people, and my boyfriend reluctantly agreed. Enter the third. It was a sweaty June day, and we were at a pool party for the gay dating app I work for. Go-go dancers gyrated by the DJ booth, and the open bar was strong. The mood was set for love. My coworker introduced me to his friend who had just moved to LA for a summer internship. The friend asked me to take his picture on a swan-shaped pool floaty. Did I mention we were gay? He held my gaze. It felt special, and he was adorable. My boyfriend agreed. That night, he came home with us. We had tried threesomes before, but rarely successfully, and never with a repeat player. I had always found the experience to be a dangerous balancing act as I tried to perform equal desire for my partner and the newcomer. But with this guy, it was different. In a rare feat of sexual chemistry, no one was left out. Before long, he was spending every night with us. My boyfriend would drive him to his internship in the mornings, and we would reunite in the evenings for dinner. On the weekends, we would take spin classes together, swim in the Pacific, eat ice cream, dance at warehouse parties. With all his youthful energy and optimism, the third had resuscitated our joie de vivre. This was our summer of love. The rules were loosely defined, which is to say, there were none. My boyfriend and I didn't discuss what was happening other than a breathless, isn't this incredible? We knew the third's internship would end in August, so why worry about it? There was no time to waste. In mid-July, I realized we were falling in love. We were at a tapas restaurant downtown, and the third was telling a story from his childhood. I looked over to see my boyfriend smiling and staring intently at him. His expression was so smitten that for a moment I wanted to smack his grin away. He didn't look at me like that anymore. But then I blinked and realized that I was wearing the same doofy expression. We were both committing the same crime, so all would be forgiven, right? Not quite. When our group chat fell silent one afternoon while they were together, I found myself running home from work early in hopes of catching them having sex without me. I never did, but I began to resent their solo drives to work together. I started checking the live video feed from our dog's treat dispenser in the living room. Jealousy was rearing its heinous little head, made even more grotesque by the guilt of knowing that I, too, 
craved solo time with the third. The geometry of a thruple is complex. With a couple, there's only a straight line connecting two dots. But introduce a third point, and so many more possibilities emerge. And only one is an equilateral triangle. Although the third slept between us in bed, sat across from us at dinner, and walked between us holding both of our hands, the angles in our thruple kept shifting. One afternoon, I discovered that my boyfriend had bought the third a new pair of cycling shoes. Not a big deal, but it proved to me that he wanted to reel the third closer to his side of the triangle. Not to mention, where were my shoes? Gradually, our conflicts from the past started to replay themselves. By early August, our fighting escalated so much that we had to take things outside one night. My boyfriend paced the sidewalk, steaming with rage. We're embarrassing ourselves, I said in a hiss. The nighttime dog walkers had stopped to stare by the time my boyfriend said, he makes me feel the way you used to. It was one of those ugly sentences that slips out during a fight and shocks both parties with its precision. And I understood it completely. Because I felt the same way. Summer ended. It was time for the third to fly home. We dropped him off at the airport and exchanged tearful goodbyes to the thruple. And we must have known to us as a couple. We turned onto the 405 in my boyfriend's bright orange convertible and sobbed the whole way home. The third brought a light into the dark, dusty room of our relationship. That light woke us up, energized us, made us vulnerable again. But it also illuminated some boxes we had tried for years to keep tucked away. Boxes stuffed so full of resentments that they would make a hoarder blush. Before the thruple, we could ignore our issues, file them away. But once we had a witness, we could no longer deny the evidence. That August, we broke up. And this time it stuck. That final summer together reminded us how beautiful love could and should be. After the breakup, I moved into a one-bedroom apartment... This time, I got a king-size bed, all to myself. Sometimes I look at it, and I'm embarrassed. It suggests that I'll be filling it with multiple lovers and various sexual choreographies. But most of the time, I spend my nights alone, sleeping smack dab in the middle. I sprawl. After the break, a story about another couple in an unusual arrangement. They're happily married, and they live in separate houses. By choice. That's next. Every great love story begins with a Harry Winston diamond. For nearly a century, Harry Winston has been the name behind some of the world's most exceptional diamonds— 
That's because every Harry Winston diamond ring is as one of a kind as the love story it represents. The ultimate symbol of romance, devotion, and elegance. From emerald cut and cushion cut to oval and pear-shaped, every diamond is hand-selected for maximum beauty and brilliance and placed in a timeless platinum setting. Say I do to a Harry Winston engagement ring and you're happily ever after at harrywinston.com. Hey there, it's Ira Glass from This American Life. If you don't know our show, it's true stories that unfold like little movies for radio. Lots of them funny with surprising moments and plot twists. We've been on the radio for years. And we've teamed up with the New York Times to bring you new episodes of This American Life a full day and a half before you can find them anywhere else online. And the place you can do that is the New York Times audio app every Saturday morning. In the app, you also find the best of our archive, hundreds of episodes, plus This American Life shorts, which are handpicked stories when you're in the mood to hear something good but you don't have time for a whole episode. And the New York Times audio app, can I say, is chock full of tons of other stories and podcasts curated every day for those moments that you want to listen to something and you don't know what you want to listen to. You can download it at nytimes.com slash audio app and subscribe to start listening. And if you're not already a New York Times subscriber, well, this is another reason to become one. Again, that's nytimes.com slash audio app. April and Sam Doyle have been married for three years. It's both of their second marriages— And they're both mothers. April has one daughter with their first wife, and Sam has three children. So when they fell in love and thought about how to bring their lives together, there were a lot of factors and a lot of kids to consider. And the arrangement they've come to is one that just doesn't occur to most couples. But it's the thing that makes their marriage work. They don't live together. When you're a bit on the outer edges of mainstream you don't automatically get credence that maybe you do when you're dead center in the fabric of American culture and expectation, right? We're this interracial lesbian couple that doesn't live together. Meet the Doyles. My name is April Myers Doyle. My name is Sumatra Doyle. Um, Everyone calls me Sam. The day I met Sam, I was looking for the person I was going to spend the rest of my life with. I was just looking for a date. I was open to what was out there. And our first date was on a work day. I don't know which day of the week it was, but I'm very sure that April does. January 13th, 2018. And I walked in and she was so cute. Oh my gosh, she was... Wow, she was so, so cute. Um, And I ordered uh, the one entree that she's allergic to. (laughs) Shellfish and, like, absolutely disgusting. And she ordered it. And I was like, okay, (laughs) you're ordering the one thing I'm allergic to. But I really like you. We had a great time. I was like, okay, okay. I'm in, I'm in, you're adorable. She was just, I didn't feel like I had just met her. I didn't feel like oh gosh, this is the first date. I'm really like nervous. What am I going to say? It just, it seemed pretty easy and pretty effortless to talk with her. Even though we're very different. April is, she, she's white. She is in law enforcement. 
She's African-American, and I'm a cop. I'm a white cop. And I'm a nurse practitioner in oncology. There's no Venn diagram from the, the worlds that we inhabited before we met, except we were both parents and we're both gay. We're very different parents with very different kids and very different needs and very different situations. I've got three fairly extroverted, you know, kids who are really into each other because they've grown up as a unit. And April's daughter is an only child. So I'd been married once to somebody who already had a daughter, and so I was a step-parent. But it was a constant, nonverbal, you're not my real mom. I did not have the standing to be her parent. And then three years into our relationship, I had Bailey, our second child. And once Bailey was four or five, I realized that I wasn't being heard by Bailey either. Little Bailey was in the family room with her dirty dish, and I told her to bring it to the kitchen. And I saw her eyes dart upstairs, and she knew her other mom was coming down the stairs, and her other mom would just very happily, without question, carry her plate for her. And little Bailey got up and pushed me into the laundry room to stop me from making her carry her own plate to the kitchen. That moment was the watershed moment for me where I realized I am never going to have my parenting heard in this living situation. I I literally asked for a divorce a couple minutes after that. I'm like, this is not working. So when I first met Sam, I'd been divorced for three plus years, and I sat down at my desk to work, but these thoughts were going through my mind. There's nothing more important in my life than bringing up my daughter to be the kind of person I want her to be. What I really wanted was to have a tight little condo in West Seattle. I want to have that control of my space. And I want to have a space that, you know, I own that isn't going anywhere. And so at that moment, all of a sudden I was like, okay, I'm going to buy a condo. It was a few months into dating Sam. And so I told her. She called and I was doing something I don't normally do, which is make my bed. (laughs) So I was making my bed and I was on April's side of the bed. I just said, hey, you know, I decided I'm going to buy a condo. And it it really didn't dawn on me that she was going to be upset about it. I think my initial gut reaction was, hurt. What about me? She had expectations in the back of her mind that it was going to go a different way. I had just assumed that we would all, I don't know, maybe live in this house and have four kids together. I thought, well, oh, maybe I misunderstood. Like, maybe this isn't a serious relationship for you. And maybe I misinterpreted something because you're doing this huge thing without me. Like, we're on a different page here. I could only offer to her that I love you. I want to be with you. I think that you're a wonderful, amazing human being that I want to spend the rest of my life with. I was only asking her to continue in our relationship together 
as I, parallel to that, continued with my parenting of Bailey in a space that was best for my parenting of Bailey. I cognitively, putting feelings aside, understood that April had absolutely made the best choice for her, and she had made the best choice for her daughter. And at the same time, she kind of acknowledged my feelings about it, because although I could say, I'm happy you did the right thing for you. I'm also really pissed at the same time. (laughs) But I knew that it was some big fork in the road, and I knew the point was we weren't going to live together. So I knew it was something momentous. Now that we've been together for five years, I laugh at, like, that would have been horrible. That would have just been the stupidest idea ever. And I'm so glad we didn't do that. And I don't know why I thought that was the only way, because that just would have been a disaster, I think. I can't imagine not having Sam as my person, you know? She's my person. I'm April's person, and she's my person. Like, of course. I knew that I wanted to be with April the rest of my life, and we wanted to be married. When you're a bit on the outer edges of mainstream, you don't automatically get credence that maybe you do when you're dead center in the fabric of American culture and expectation, right? We're this interracial lesbian couple that doesn't live together. Take us seriously. (laughs) Yes, this white woman and this black woman who live in these different places They're married. We parent very differently. Um, There are things that April lets her daughter get away with that I would never. It would just make my head explode. And I think there are things that I do with my kids that I'm sure makes April's head explode. But we know enough to just, you know what? Just shush. Wonderful kids. Great kids. I am cool with spending time with them, talking to them, hearing about them, watching them grow, all of that stuff. I am in love with their mom, but I'm not their parent. The way we approach co-parenting is that we don't. We, we don't co-parent together. And this is not a family. And that's okay. This is two families who are, you know, having dinner at my house, or having dinner at my mother's house, but like we do not have an identity as a family, but that's okay. Our address does not determine how good or fulfilling your marriage is. That's not where like the meat and potatoes of it. It does not require cohabitation to do that. At 6 p.m. on Wednesdays, our kids go back to the other moms and I drive up to her house. I'm excited. I'm like, yay, I get to see her. Sometimes it's a bit like Christmas and I just want to like grab her when she comes to the door and I'm like, hi, I haven't seen you. How are you? And how are you doing? You look so cute. No, you smell good. And I haven't seen you in three days. And So we, we get that experience every Wednesday. This is them, the Doyles. We are together and we mean it. Thanks to Kelly Coyne, the reporter who introduced us to April and Sam. Thank you. 
Modern Love is produced by Julia Botero, Christina Josa, Elisa Dudley, and Hans Buto. It's edited by Sarah Saracen. This episode was mixed by Sophia Landman. Our show is recorded by Maddie Masiello. The Modern Love theme music is by Dan Powell. Original music by Sophia Landman and Marion Lozano. Digital production by Mihima Chablani and Nel Galogli. Special thanks to Anna Diamond at Autumn. The Modern Love column is edited by Daniel Jones. Mia Lee is the editor of Modern Love Projects. I'm Anna Martin. Thanks for listening. 